This podcast is a production of Journey, a church community inspiring people to live big. For more information, please visit cincyjourney.org. Hey, good morning. What a great morning of worship we already had. Thank you so much, Daniel, for leading us in that. My name is Joe Merrick. I'm the lead pastor here at Journey, and I am so excited that you are here with us today. We are thrilled to have every one of you uh, on this beautiful, beautiful Sunday morning. Uh, We want to take a quick moment and say welcome if you are new today. We know it's not easy to walk into a new place and kind of navigate yourself around, and so we want to say thank you for being here. And uh, we want to encourage everyone to reach into the seat back in front of them and to pull out one of these Connect cards. Uh, The Connect card is a great, great way for you just to let us know that A, that you're here and you can communicate some things with us. If you're new, if this is uh, your first time with us, we would love for you to put your address on there. Um, We would love to send you just a quick thank you in the mail this week. Um, Also, if you have um, uh, made any kind of decision um, or you have a prayer request, other information you want us to know, you can put that on the back. And so we want to encourage every family here here, at least one person from every family here, uh, to fill that out. And then at the end of our time together, when the offering bags come by, you can just drop it in there. Or if those pass you by, there are some baskets on your way out today. With all that shared, let me just pray for us and we'll jump in. Dear Lord, we want to take a moment right now. We want to take a moment and just let our hearts get in the right place. We have sung of your grace and your power and your mercy, and all of those things are true. God, we want to open up your word. We want to open up your word, and we want to ask that you speak to us. Because there is not a person here, whether they have uh, never been into a church before, or uh, whether they have been in this seat or a seat like them a thousand times before, God, there's not a person here who you don't have a plan for, who you don't have a next faithful step for. God, help us this morning discover what maybe that next step is for us. Be with us this morning, God. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, um, you have found us in week number two of our summer-long teaching series called Wanderers. And so what we're doing for this uh, summer-long teaching series is we are going to the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers is the story of how the people of Israel turn a three-week journey. That's how long it should have taken them from Egypt to the Promised Land. A three-week journey into 38 years of wandering in the desert. All because of disobedience. And we want to learn something from that. We want to, the heartbeat of this series is to to look at some of the choices that Israel made and some of the choices that we make and begin to wonder and ask how we could make more faithful choices, how we could be more like the people God designed us to be. 
Uh, if you don't remember, just a really quick kind of uh, a summary of where we're at kind of in the larger biblical story. That's one of the things that we try and do in the summer. We try and make sure we get some kind of larger perspective of where stories fit into the Bible. And so uh, the, the story of the people of Israel, God has chosen Israel, this group of people, to be his special people. And they're to be an example to the world. That was his intention. An example to the world of God's faithfulness, of his power, of his mercy, of his grace, of all his attributes. They're to be this shining example. And so Israel is chosen as this group of people. They have some good years. Uh, They kind of grow and prosper a bit. But eventually, they become enslaved by the Egyptians. They're enslaved by the Egyptians, and it's harsh there, and they call out to God for help. And God sends them Moses, and through a a series of kind of miracles, God uh, gets them released from the Egyptians, from their enslavement. Without a battle, they're released out, and they're then uh, into the desert, and they're on their way to what the Bible describes as the promised land, this land that he says is the choicest of all my lands. It's the choicest, best place on earth. I'm going to send you there, not just to stay for a week or a month like a vacation, but to live there. This will be your land. And so Israel is on their way, they're traveling through the wilderness, and they come two-thirds of the way, almost there. And they send 12 spies. That's 10, but I only have 10 fingers, so got that. Okay. Um, They they send 12 spies into the promised land, and these spies are are to go and kind of just get a lay of the land, figure it out, figure kind of out what kind of preparations need to be made, all those things. And the 12 spies come back, and 10, uh, all 12 agree, I'm sorry, all 12 agree that this is the best land they have ever seen. They can't believe the fruit. It's going to be perfect. But 10, 10 of the 12 say, you know what? The people that are there, they're so big. They're so strong. They're so numerous. They're so well fortified. There is no way that we can conquer these people. And so now the, the people of Israel, they hear the ten, what the ten say. They say, this is all for nothing. And they, they grumble and they cl- complain. They, um, they side with the ten. And say, you know what? They're right. We can't enter into the promised land. God's not really going to deliver this to us. And so, as punishment, they're turned back around into the desert, and they're wandering. And that's where the book of Numbers picks up the story for us. We have so much to learn this summer. So much to learn from the people of Israel. So much to learn from the book of Numbers because... More often than we would like to admit, we act just like they did. We act just like the people of Israel. This week, what we're going to talk about is something maybe that uh, doesn't come on our radar very often, something maybe uh, we don't want to talk about, but we're going to talk about complaining. Complaining is something that the people of Israel did a lot of in the desert, in their wanderings. And it's something that we do a lot of 
too. Complaining, grumbling doesn't get much attention as a problem. It comes so natural. We talk about getting things off our chest like it's even good for us, right? uh, People do it all around us. It doesn't even register that it's an issue. But it is. We don't realize what kind of problem complaining is. That's one of the things we're going to see in our scripture today. It's ironic. In our world, in our world of instant gratification, of fast food restaurants, of uh, streaming videos, of having the answer to almost any question on our cell phone right at our fingertips, text message, Twitter, being able to have almost anything delivered to our door in a day, all these conveniences, right? They should be making life easier, making us more patient, giving us less things to complain about, creating more space for the important things in life. But so often that's not the story that gets told in us. So often we have just as much or maybe even more now to complain about because our expectations are so high. We complain when we get cut off on our way to work. We're frustrated when our package takes more than a day. We grumble. We complain to our spouse. We complain about our kids. And all of this reveals something about us. All of this reveals something in us that uh, the Israelites never quite figured out. Get this. Our grumbling, our grumblings reveal the selfishness of our own heart. It's kind of one of the key ideas for today. Our grumblings reveal the selfishness of our own hearts. You know why that's so important? Because so often we like to think that are grumbling, that are complaining. It happens because of the things around us, right? The person cuts us off, the coworker at work who can't quite get their stuff together, the, the person, the waiter who messes up our order, all these things, these outside issues, they, they frustrate us and they cause us to grumble, to complain. But those are symptoms, not The root problem, not the cause. The cause, hear me say today, the cause is the selfishness in our own hearts. When uh, somebody cuts us off, when somebody cuts us off on our way to work, we don't think, oh man, maybe they had a really important meeting today and they're on their way. Maybe I should pray for them. Now we think how their actions affect us, right? Or maybe when uh, we cut somebody else off, we don't think about how our actions are affecting them. We think they're in my way. We're so frustrated. We grumble. We complain. We like to blame it on other people, on situations. But the truth is, our complaints are always about us. 
our selfishness. That's a lesson that Israel never quite figured out. Uh, We're going to pick up our uh, story today in Numbers chapter 11, if you're following along. Numbers chapter 11, and it begins this way. We're going to read the first three verses. Now the people complained. The people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord, and when he heard them, his anger was aroused. And then fire from heaven, I'm sorry, then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. And when the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So that place was called Tebrah, because fire from the Lord had burned among them. Right from the outset, in Numbers chapter 11, one of the things that should be blinking at us as we look at this section of Scripture is that grumbling, complaining, the things that we like to think aren't really that big of a deal, really are a big deal. The people grumbled and complained, and fire came down from heaven. That's a biblical way to say, hey, pay attention here, this is important. Complaining doesn't stop in verse 3. Continues on and on and on, really. If we move on to verse 4. The rabble with them then began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, remember, this is a second time of complaining. If only we had meat to eat Verse 5, we remember the fish that we ate in Egypt at no cost. We remember the, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlics. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. And then verse 10, if we skip down. Moses heard the people of every family wailing, each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. If we go back to verse 4, it said that this kind of second time of grumbling and complaining, it started with this group called the rabble. That's a phrase we don't see very often in Scripture. What it was most likely referring to was kind of some of the people who were in Egypt and they were enslaved, they were um, oppressed, and when the exodus happened, they kind of tagged along, right? Uh, They're not really part of God's people. They're not really Israelites. They haven't taken on the teachings. They haven't really uh, moved God to the center of their heart and their life and their family. And they're just kind of on the outskirts of the camp. And they begin to complain. There's yet another lesson about grumbling and complaining. We learn right here in this second, the uh, second kind of grumbling, complaining section that not only is grumbling an important issue, not only is it detrimental and damaging, it's contagious. Kind of builds on itself. 
Author uh, Steve Parton talks about it this way. He says, research shows that emotions are contagious. Scientists have observed that people tend to unconsciously mimic the facial expressions of the people around them. This mimicry helps them to interpret what someone else is feeling. So if someone is frowning, we instinctively kind of frown with them. And that physical experience, as that happens, it triggers something in us, in our own memories, and we begin to not only uh, physically uh, manifest what we see in the other person, we begin to feel those feelings too. He goes on to say, not only are emotions and attitudes contagious from other people, but they're contagious in ourselves. Throughout our brain, there is this collection of synapses uh, separated by an empty space called synaptic cleft. I promise that's as technical as we're going to get. And he goes on, he says, whenever you have a thought, one synapse shoots a chemical across across the cleft to another synapse. And thus, it, it kind of builds a bridge, and the electricity, electrical signal goes across, and it carries the charge and the thought, the feeling, the emotion, the information you're thinking about across, okay? He claims that when uh, synapses communicate with each other repeatedly, when they, they actually begin to grow closer together, decreasing the distance and the effort it takes to transfer information from one to the other. Okay, all that means this. When you have the same negative thought, the same negative emotion again and again and again, those feelings create pathways that essentially encourage you to keep having similar ones. Because it's literally simpler for your brain to process that negative emotion than it is something else or positive ones. That's what happens up here. Let me take a moment and tell you what happens in here, in our heart. Just like our brains, one complaint leads to the next. One leads to the next, leads to the next. It becomes this kind of negative cycle that spins and spins and spins. And it's something that we can pick up from other people. We, we spend some time around negative people, people complaining and grumbling and just being impatient with life. We sense that, we pick it up, we carry it into our hearts, just like happens in Numbers chapter 11. That's something that we're also predisposed to. Our, our hearts, I'm sorry, already kind of have this bent to them. We, in other words, it doesn't take much of a push to get us grumbling and complaining with others. Because again, grumbling is a symptom. It's a symptom of a bigger heart problem. It's a symptom of the selfishness that exists in us. Every complaint And all our impatience reinforces that already persistent drive and desire to be self-focused. And the more self-focused we are, the less God-centered we can be. That's what's happening inside our hearts when we complain on the outside. This 
second complaint section of Numbers chapter 11, we learn something else. Not only is complaining destructive, not only is it contagious, it does something else to us. It distorts how we see the world. Distorts how we see the world. In, uh, in verse 5 and 6 uh, from our section, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost and all the vegetables, but now we have lost our appetite, it says in verse 6. We never see anything but this manna. They're complaining. The Israelites complaining distorted their perspective of the past. All of a sudden, all of a sudden they forgot about the whips and the sun and the chains and the enslavement. All of a sudden they forgot about the endless work that was put on them by the Egyptians and how they kept expecting them to do all of these things, but they would take away the resources, the ways they were to make bricks, but they never decreased their demand. All of a sudden they forgot about how the Pharaoh wanted nothing but to see their destruction. He was afraid of them. In fact, he called for the death of every newborn son of the Israelite people. They forgot all that. And through this distorted lens of complaining, that place, that place became not, uh, it became this wrongly desired for home that they wanted to go back to. I can't miss the significance of this complaint. People of Israel, they claimed that the slavery they had known was greater than God's leadership in their current situation, as hard as it may have been. Talk about disrespectful. Talk about ungrateful. It's no wonder God's anger burned against them. Their complaints not only distorted their perspective of the past, it distorted their perspective of the current situation. With all this false romanticizing of the food back in Egypt, they ignored the manna that God provided every morning. Remember, in an inhospitable desert where they shouldn't have had food, God provided for them. Imagine the irony from God's perspective. Here are his chosen people, his chosen people who he delivered from, uh, from enslavement, from this evil dictator, a people who he provides for every morning. And now these people are gathered around his food, complaining, longing for the food they had when they were slaves and being slaughtered and calling out for help. All the while, they're ignoring his promise of a better day, of a better land, all so they could have some meat and some vegetables. But isn't that how it always happens with complaining? It distorts our vision, it distorts how we see things in the past. It distorts how we see our current situation. 
How many times have you or I kind of romanticized the past into some golden age, making it better than it really was? Before I was a Christian, I, I had so much time. I didn't have to get up and come to church on a Sunday morning. I didn't have to give any money away. I didn't have to serve other people. Those were the days. Before I was married, I could do what I wanted. I could leave my underwear on the floor and eat pizza for breakfast. Those were the days. No, those weren't the days. Our past wasn't as rosy. Wasn't as rosy as we often make it out to be in our current situation is seldom as bleak as we think it is. We act just like Israel. Forgetting our past oppression and ignoring our current blessing. That's what happens when we complain. We forget the past blessing or if we, we forget our current blessing and we forget past oppression. But perhaps the most destructive part of complaint and grumbling is it steals our ability to have hope in the future. It steals our ability to have hope in the future. As people of faith, our attention is to be focused not on the past, good or bad, not even on the future really, but, or not on the present really, but in the future. Specifically, the future God has called us to. That's how we are to orient our lives, our hearts, our minds, our attitudes. The Israelites were to remember they were only camping in the desert. They were on their way through. They weren't called to live there. They were called to think of the promised land as home, not the desert. They were called to remember that God has better days ahead. That's something that we have to remember as well. Remembering that God has better days ahead, believing, having faith in that, that's how faith conquers grumbling. We put our faith in these promises of God's future. And then the present difficulties and the past troubles they make the final destination of God's blessing all that much sweeter. Now there's no getting around the fact that grumbling, complaining, impatience are something that we're going to deal with on a daily basis. That doesn't mean we give up. It means we fight all that much So what are some things we could do this week, this week that could help us in kind of this battle against grumbling, this battle really for our heart? I have two ideas for you. First is this. Take some time. Look at the last week. Look at the last couple of weeks. What were those moments where you were the most impatient? 
those times when uh, you were really kind of at your wits end? Where were those places, those times when you really began to grumble and complain about some circumstances happening around you? Was it in the car on the commute? Was it right before bedtime when the kids were going crazy? Was it with some coworker who just couldn't quite get things together? What was that time for you? Once you kind of have that identified, nailed down, think about this then. How can you in the next week, not try and fix complaining and grumbling in every area of your life, but how can you fix it in this one spot? How can you come with a little bit more patience, with a little bit more, um, a different attitude into some of those situations? What are some of the triggers that you can identify really early so you can stop the complaint dead in its tracks? Because here's what I think you will find. It's amazing how when you look, let's just say um, you began to, you were um, frustrated and grumbled on the commute because of the traffic. When you really worked on that, When you really worked at stopping that grumbling and complaining, what you're going to find is you grumble and complain less in other areas too. Because again, it's this cycle that gets started and continues on and on and on. So the first idea is to take some time to look back what are ways in which we're times and areas of your life where you grumble and complain, and then what is one or two ways this week where you could fight against that specific area? Maybe you want to share that with somebody, a friend, a spouse. We always do a little better when we kind of share some of those ideas, some of those things that we're working on. We have some accountability. Second thing, Second thing I think we could do, even better than that, is trying to get the, to the root of the problem. The root of the grumbling, of the complaining, which remember we talked about, isn't kind of the external things that are going on. It's not the guy who cuts us off. It's not the uh, person who gets our order wrong. It's not the coworker. It's the selfishness in us. So how do we battle that? Let's turn the problem around. Let's start by maybe focusing on one person this coming week. We could really go out of our way to serve, to show God's mercy and love and grace to. Invite Jesus into kind of this battle with you. Serve someone and see the root of your complaints fall away. As we focus on that, we'll have less to complain about. We'll see those complaints less in other areas. Because this is the brilliance of God's design. It all works together for his good. We serve other people. Our patience grows, which grows our love, which grows our desire to serve others. And we do it more and more, which increases our joy, which brings peace and kindness, and goodness, and self-control to our lives. That's God's design for us. Let's take a moment and pray about that today. God, 
As we sit here and we read this section of scripture, it's so easy to be thousands of miles away, even thousands of years removed, and to look at the Israelites and say, what do you have to complain about? I mean, God was right there before you. He was leading you through the desert. There was manna every morning. All you had to do was kind of continue on and continue believing. Go take the promised land. Life would have been so much simpler. We miss how we do just what they did. How we grumble and complain How we look at our past and we say, you know what? Life was so much better then. We forget about the enslavement. Forget about all those things that kept us down. All those sins that weighted around us or like a weight on our necks. We miss the blessings you give us each day. God, it's so easy for us to believe that complaining doesn't really matter. And I hope one of the seeds that gets planted in my heart and in every heart here today is that it's not really just one complaint. It's one complaint that leads to another complaint that leads to another complaint. And it begins to build in our life, in our mind, in our hearts. It's building and it's taking us away from you rather than closer to you. And that should be a big problem for us. God, help us this week. Help us right now here in this moment to make a decision, to make a decision that we're gonna start that process in a new direction. We're going to start it with service and love and grace. And we're going to see that grow in our heart, in our mind, in our life, in the people around us. God, that's what you call us to, to be ambassadors of your grace and love and goodness. Help us to do that this week. Help us to fight the lie that grumbling, complaining isn't really a big deal. Help us to see see how you can improve our life and our faith by fighting this battle. In your name we pray. Amen.